Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Scott Detheridge to the show. Scott is a founding partner in the Austin law firm of Smith & Brown LLP. Over the last 30 years, Scott has focused on environmental issues, energy, and climate change. For most of his career, he worked with large law firms in Dallas, but two years ago, he formed his own firm and also began pursuing entrepreneurial opportunities. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Scott, thank you for being on. Scott, I'd like to kick the conversation off with something interesting about you that many people might not know. Well, I started out in life wanting to be a second Jacques Cousteau, studied aquatic ecology, and uh, somewhere along the way got distracted and ended up in law school. (laughs) Did you pursue it at all? I I did not. I went from college right into Harvard Law School, so... uh, that, that background really directed me into uh, environmental law, though, and um, uh, with my background in science and chemistry, uh, biology, ecology, it was a, uh, a good match for uh, someone in, who had a legal degree uh, focusing on environmental issues. So do you scuba? I've done a little, not as much as I thought I would do when I was uh, 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> career and children and family got in the way of my uh, and, and living in dallas not on the shore uh got in the way of my scuba diving yeah that's always hard too well you mentioned law firm you know tell me a little bit about about your current endeavor what are you working on right now so a couple of things uh my law firm is uh s, s. Deathridge law plc it's a, a small law firm uh when i left the big law firm i started to, to form my own uh firm and, and focus on environmental um, energy issues. And then I've also worked on some blockchain stuff. So uh, and, and within all that, it's been everything from regulatory to uh, helping set up companies, helping clients sell their uh, entities or their projects. I've helped clients sell about 10 or 15 solar farms. I've worked on probably 50 or more solar leases and worked on wind leases. So it's been a lot of fun. I've been very fortunate to have had clients that helped uh, help really launch me into the renewable energy business, uh, energy efficiency, energy storage, that sort of thing. I was looking over your background. You've been involved in this space for 30 years, which is a long time. What are some of the bigger changes you've seen happen over the time? Oh, gosh. Uh, the world is uh, completely different. Um, I, I guess one of the interesting things is, is when I first started um, you know, companies weren't focused on sustainability, uh, ESG, which is environmental social governance, um, climate action. Um, you know, the and, the and the mindset was really, you know, anything that helped the environment cost the company money and, and cost jobs. And, you know, you fast forward 30 years and all the investment houses are focused on sustainability, ESG, climate change. Uh, corporations all have their own internal staff to deal with sustainability. I mean, you know, it's 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 like the whole world is flip flopped, and really now uh, companies find that you know uh, they're looking for the cheaper, cleaner solution. Which I always say, you know, cheaper, cleaner is better. Um, wind and solar are cheap. Battery prices. I just read an article today. The the battery pricing we were using in a model for a company I'm helping form um, 
we were using $187 per kilowatt hour. Um, a new study came out and says it's down to, you know, 156, I think dollars per kilowatt hour. So, wow. So a 16 and a half percent decrease, um, you know, electrification of vehicles is going crazy. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, uh, you know, you, you sort of having capitalism shift from a, well, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but a shift from a fossil fuel to a renewable capitalism. And so it's, you know, the opportunities are just huge. You know, I, I heard something recently which said that we're moving from an extractive mindset to a regenerative mindset. And I kind of like that view. I like that a lot. So 30 years ago, you know, you had this interest in diving, maritime. How would you say that influenced you in, you know, following this path of focusing on environmental and climate change way back then where most people weren't on board? You know, it's just uh, I, I kind of grew up being very sensitive and interested in the environment, um, human impacts on the environment. And so uh, it's just, you know, kind of been in my blood since I can remember as a small child. So always been interested in biology and science. Um, and, you know, with a law degree and what I do, you can combine that interest and background in science with public policy um, achieving goals, advocacy, persuasion. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, something that I've, I've been interested in since I was very young. Now, did you grow up in the Dallas area? Actually grew up in Oklahoma city, which probably raises questions of why I was interested in the ocean. So that was what, what I'm trying to get at is that these are all like fossil fuel, oil and gas territories. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up all around that and, uh, you know, friends, relatives, worked in and still work in, you know, the, the fossil fuel industry. I think, I think, uh, you know, I was, you know, in the early days I, I was, you know, like I said, I was, you know, paying attention to Jacques Stowe and he, he was a leader in environmental issues and, and looking at the ocean and, and as massive as the ocean is, you know, how human activity was having, were having adverse impacts on the ocean and, and species. And so, it's, uh, um, you know, that, so I just had that mindset early on. And, and so uh, uh, when people talked about, you know, the ozone layer or climate change, that, that just all made sense to me. And so I think I, I kind of got all that uh, at, a, at an earlier stage, very early in the process. And, uh, uh, you know, I think it's just from my interests and my background and, you know, the, the books and shows I was watching were, were all about, you know, climate, the environment, the oceans, ecology, and uh, was able to transfer that into a legal practice. So fast forward 30 years, are those same friends and family kind of telling you, hey, Scott, you were way ahead of your time, but now things have caught up? Well, you know, there's there's the there's the people who don't believe in climate change and uh, are, are sort of, you know, on that side of the fence. So I have friends and relatives that are in that that group. Um, but but more and more, you you know, when you start talking to, you know, you know, I, I worked on a panel, uh, ran a panel of uh, uh, sustainability folks. And we talked about, you know, the supply chain. So I, I, you know, on my panel, I had someone from Hewlett Packard. I had someone from, uh, a company that's involved in building, build, making building materials, a global company. And then, uh, a guy who works for, uh, MGM grand resorts and, you know, all of them 
you know, this is just built into the company and the fabric of the companies is, you know, what are we doing to reduce our costs at the same time? Um, Mm -hmm. Dealing with uh, making sure our supply chain is sustainable, you know, putting their supply contracts, you know, they have to comply with sustainability codes. I mean, you know, it's just amazing how far we've come, have a long way to go, but man, what what a transition I've seen in the last 30 years. Taking off on that transition piece there, one of the things I really like to explore, and you touched on it briefly regarding your history, you know, and your interests, is the why behind, you know, why are you so passionate about this? Why have you been so passionate? I understand early education, early exposure, but, you know, what keeps you moving forward in this in this particular path? Well, obviously, you know, when you have children, and, and I have a 30-year-old and 25-year-old, and, um, you know, I, I think about their future. What What is the planet going to look like when they're my age and they're in their 50s, when they're, when hopefully, you know, I have grandchildren, what's the world going to be like when, when they, they are, they enter the workforce or out in the world? Is it, is it going to be a planet that's sustainable or is it just going to be a terrible place to live? And, and, and I worry about that. You know, I, I, I care about the legacy that I and the rest of us leave for our kids and grandchildren and future generations. And, uh, and that, that's a big, big issue for me, both personally and then just thinking about the planet and humanity. What what are we leaving for the future? So you mentioned you have a 30-year-old and a 25-year-old. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've obviously been listening to you for the past 30 years, say, you know, speaking about this. You know, what are their thoughts about what's going on right now? Well, you know, they're, they're very upset. I mean, you know, if you, if you look at people who are, you know, 30 or younger, I mean what they're hearing is the planet's not going to be in good shape when they're living the best parts of their lives. I mean, you know, you know, they they want, they want to see action. They, they, and they think about, you know, well, if I'm buying a product or, you know, subscribing to a service or who do I buy, you know, my, you know, what's Apple doing? I'm buying their phone and their computers. What are they doing to save the environment? What are they doing about climate change? And so, so the, the younger people are saying, look, I, I don't want to buy stuff from people who destroy the planet. I, I, if, I, if I think they're doing bad things to the environment or socially, I don't want to buy their products. I don't want to buy their services. And so I think if we think sustainability is big now, wait, wait till my 30 and 25-year-old are in their 40s. I mean, there's going to be no tolerance for a lack of a you know, sustainable companies not being sustainable. Totally agree. I think that, you know, these... Um next generations are really going to bring corporations, companies to task regarding all their behaviors. Recently, I read an article regarding some of the challenges around fast fashion industry and, you know, this, this onslaught of just constant consumerism and what's that doing to the planet. And, you know, some of that conversations around Amazon too, and the packaging and the cardboard and the immediate delivery. So I really feel like these next generations are are really going to ask the harder questions off companies. Well, you know, when, you know, we saw, you know, all these companies that run data centers all of a sudden moving to renewable energy. Well, you know, the rumors are that Greenpeace went to all these companies and said, well, look, we think you all are as bad as coal companies because you're consuming so much power. Uh, you can either change or we'll start a public relations campaign against you. And, you know, Microsoft and Amazon and Apple, they all started, you know, converting to renewable energy. And I'm not saying that was a sole driver. But one of the articles I saw this morning was, well, 
if you look at the uh, at e-commerce, uh, and you kind of mentioned that you've got all this paper and plastic and boxes, and then think about all the extra vehicles making deliveries. We're we're not only increasing our carbon emissions, but all those vehicles that come to your house are bringing additional you know, local air pollution emissions to your neighborhood. And and I, I think that's one of the next big issues is, hey, UPS, hey, Amazon, hey, FedEx, hey, Postal Service. Mm-hmm. Y- you need a different vehicle that doesn't pollute. And if you look at UPS, they're looking at hydrogen vehicles. They're investing in electric vehicles. Amazon made a I think $700 million investment in Rivian, and they now pledge to buy 100,000 electric vehicles for deliveries. You know, I I just think, you know, we're going to see a massive transformation of transportation to electricity over the next five and 10 years. And I I think these companies making those transition know they they have to take action and they have to do it quickly. And fortunately, the technologies now available are coming online where you can really start to reduce those emissions from electric and and convert to electric vehicles. So speaking of electric vehicles and hydrogen, what are some of the technologies that you're interested in right now or you've been interested over the last few years? Um, Well, wind wind initially um, and then solar. I've done a lot of work in the solar business, represented a lot of companies and done a lot of work in that field. Energy storage, I've done some creative things with, uh, you know, work with a private equity fund that was doing some demand response work in Brooklyn and Queens and wrote some contracts um, where the developer was actually installing batteries in buildings um, in New York, paying the building owner uh, to allow them to have it in there and within a year making all the money back. Uh, through demand response programs or get paid to cut back on the electricity using buildings. And so uh, now, now my, my real, one of my biggest passions right now, and I'm involved with the startup that's, that's in the uh, uh, electric vehicle charging space is just building the infrastructure for the electrification of uh, cars and trucks. I mean, it's just a multi-billion, if not multi-trillion dollar infrastructure play that, you know, really is going to be a huge opportunity and be very transformational over the next at least five years. I mean, if you look at not just Tesla, but you look at Ford coming out with a electric Mustang, Mach-E, you've got Audi and Volkswagen and Porsche, you get all these startup companies like Rivian and various others that are, you know, building new plants or buying old car plants. Uh, it's an amazing transformation. I'm just my my biggest interest is actually uh, seeing elect, you know renewable energy being used to charge to charge all those electric vehicles. I mean, as a real economic opportunity, but just a huge opportunity to reduce uh, reduce uh, emissions and change our carbon and uh, local pollution impact with uh, with all our vehicles that are on out on the streets these days. So, without giving too much away, and regarding your current venture, are you Talking about infrastructure, so for example, I went to a restaurant last week and I saw one of these, I think it's called Blink, um, one of these charging stations outside one of the, a restaurant. Is that what you're working on? Um, well, I can't really go into it in any detail, but um, it, it is charging. Yeah, charging charging for individuals and, and fleets. You know, how do, how, do you, 
how do you build out the infrastructure necessary mm-hmm. to charge all all the vehicles that are that we want to come online over the next five years? But at this point, that's about all I can say. Okay. Going back to something you said earlier, you mentioned the storage within buildings in the New York area and the companies paying the building owners. So almost like leasing a space. Yeah, it's sort of like leasing the space. But what they're really doing is is leasing their load or the amount of electricity they use so that when when there's money to be made by reducing electricity use, um, they turn on the batteries and the building owner and their tenants don't know the difference, but that electricity is coming from stored power as opposed to power coming from the grid. And it's a, it's a term you probably know, but the audience may not. And it's called demand response. And it's really where the electric grid, you know, you hit peak demand above your baseline. And so they might ha- have to call on uh, natural gas peaker plants and that power is very polluting and very expensive have to crank up quickly. And it may be cheaper to just ask people for a 30-minute or an hour-long interval to just reduce the amount of power they're using. And that's the equivalent of a power plant. We sometimes refer to it as a virtual power plant, where instead of putting more electricity into the grid you're paying and, and paying somebody to do that, you're paying people to take the demand off the grid and it, it net nets out the same, mm-hmm. um, but it's a lot less polluting and it's probably cheaper to pay people to just not use as much electricity. And that that's a, a program in almost every grid in the United States. Um, but in Brooklyn, Queens, you can imagine the concentration of buildings and electricity users. It, it, it just becomes a lot cheaper to uh, pay people to reduce their electrical use and to, to pay people to run uh, natural gas peaker plants to pump more power into the grid. So are these storage batteries uh, connected to smart thermostats? No, they're really, they're, really, um, they're really just connected to the meter of the building. And then the, the, the grid manager just lets people know when they need uh, a reduction in the electricity and so the the batteries just replace the power that would otherwise for the building from the meter i i understand now so the grid operator says can we cut back and then the storage helps facilitate the use into the buildings correct yeah i realize it's a little bit complicated but uh uh yeah you're just you're just saying you know building typically is say is otherwise using let's just say a thousand kilowatt hours over an hour. And, and so you just, you just say, well, I'm going to cut my demand by 500 kilowatt hours for that hour. And therefore the, you know, there's less demand on the grid and the, the developer who has the batteries in the building gets paid to reduce that, um, that amount of power being sucked out of the grid by the building. That's very interesting. So Scott, in your intro, I mentioned that you are now looking at entrepreneurial ventures. After 30 years with a firm or being with large firms, what made you change directions? Um, I think I just wanted to be more entrepreneurial, um, was looking to uh, get involved in some business ventures beyond just practicing law and you know, really can't do that when you're a member of a big law firm, partner in a big law firm. So 
Um, also needed to bring my rates down to work with some of the people I wanted to work with. So it was just a combination of things. Um, had kind of gotten a point in my career where I thought I really needed to change. I really wanted to pursue what I found more uh, personally rewarding, uh, kind of follow my passions. Um, I'm sure many people go through that in their lives. You just get to a point where, you know, the same old, same old just isn't what you want to do anymore. So you mentioned the charging units. Are there any other ventures you're looking at? Um, well, looking at some potentials for uh, uh, maybe building some private equity funds that would invest in renewables and uh, sort of clean energy, energy storage. Um, so that that's sort of on the drawing board to see, because one of the things I found is um, particularly in the early stage of renewable and other development of uh, clean energy, there's just to some extent a dearth of capital uh, early stage uh, process. And so um, actually looking at to see if there's an opportunity uh, to try to raise capital in the Dallas area, the Texas area. I find a lot of times the capital investing in renewable projects in Texas comes from the east or west coast or from Europe. It would be great to see that some of that some of that capital actually originate in Texas. So, sort of a a Texas-based renewable energy fund is something I'm very interested in and in, in starting to look at. That is interesting. What kind of feedback or response are you getting from your conversations right now? We haven't really gone out to the market. Um, just really starting that. So um, we'll we'll see. I I, I hope there's going to be positive. Uh, positive interest. I mean, you know, one person I've talked to is very interested. Um, I think there's hopefully um, a lot of interest from family offices in the in the Dallas area, for example, that, um, you know, the, the younger kids are now in their 20s or 30s, maybe early 40s and saying, you know, we've got all this money. It's been built up over the years from the grandparents to the parents. But, you know, we want to make money, but we want to leave a legacy, legacy aspect for a lot of family offices is becoming more and more important. They're looking at social impact investing, uh, positive environmental investing. And I think renewables, uh, electric mobility, energy storage, um, energy efficiency, and, and other environmentally proactive um, projects and companies are a real opportunity um, to try to leave that legacy. That is interesting. You know, you mentioned following your passion earlier. And the last thing I like to ask my guests is, you know, if you could give some advice to the audience, what would it be? You know, I'd probably advise people to uh, to try to pick a a career or job or uh, that satisfies both their economic and their personal passions and uh, ethics. Um, You know, I, I. I didn't look at the world, you know, in 1987 when I graduated from Harvard Law School and said, and didn't look, look at it and say, well, what, what are the options that aren't, aren't obvious? You know, what, what, and I didn't look along my career and say, where, where could I make a divergence to do something maybe I'd be happier doing and that would satisfy my personal passions uh, in a more effective way? And I, I think when you when you get to be, you know, in your later stage of your career, you look back and say, you know, what did I do? Um, and for a lot of us, we say, you know, you know, did I live my life in a way that 
um, satisfied my own view of what the world should be? Did I, did I make the world a better place? And, and I would just advise people in their 20s and 30s to look at alternatives, to try to find the less obvious route that um, they look for things that they really believe in and, and that their job is, is their passion. And that, that's maybe hard to find, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I may not be 100 times richer since I left the big law firms, but I'm 100, 100% happier. And I feel more rewarded in what I'm doing. And I, I wish I would have looked into doing something different uh, 20 years ago rather than waiting uh, uh, until four or five years ago. Well, that is really interesting. And if I'm hearing you correctly, I almost sounds like you're saying, take the road a little less traveled. Yeah, I, I didn't want to use that. But yeah, exactly. You know, try to try to find you know, study and analyze, try to network, reach out to people. I mean, you know, fortunately we have LinkedIn now. You can you can find people and reach out to people and and, and try to find people who might might be doing something you'd like to do and maybe they'll help you or educate you about about some different areas, some different opportunities. Um, uh, you know, one of the positive aspects of social media is we is we we're, we've been dealing with some of the negative aspects, but but using social media and other processes to 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 explore alternate routes. I love that. And I think that's a great place to stop. And, you know, I really appreciate your time and your advice and all your experience that you've shared. And I look forward to seeing, you know, what you do in the next five years, especially with your new endeavors. And, you know, if there's anything else you'd like to share. Oh, just, just enjoy, enjoy doing this. And, uh, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Hope, hope your listeners enjoy it. Thank you, Scott. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. All right. Take care.